0: Good morning and welcome everybody. Hi. It's nice to have everybody kind of close in. This morning I like the kind of home church feel. You know, I know what I'm talking about. You know, just that, that sense of everybody being uh, a little closer than we've been able to be for a while because of uh, circumstances. So it's nice to everybody here. Um, definitely want to thank all of you for your, your care and your prayers for us in the last few weeks. Um, it's been a complicated time, but by God's grace, we're plugging along. We're doing better than we thought we would be. Help wise, I'm seeing some improvement in some things and some complications in other things, but again, God provides the grace is always ahead of our needs, so we're doing okay. Uh, But really appreciate uh, all the goodness of you folks uh, to my family this last couple of weeks. Let's take a look at the Psalm together. Um, Today is Psalm 78, which says, Give ear of my people to my teaching, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. So that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but Mm -hmm. keep his commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. The Ephraimites, armed with a bow, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. In the sight of their fathers he performed wonders in the land of Egypt, in the fields of Zoan. He divided the sea and let them pass through it, and made the waters stand like a heap. In the daytime he led them with a cloud, and all the night with a fiery light. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly, as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock, and caused waters to flow down like rivers. Yet they sinned, still more against him, rebelling against the most high in the desert. They tested God in their heart. By demanding the food they craved, they spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so that the water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? Therefore, when the Lord heard, he was full of wrath. A fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger rose against Israel, because they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power. Yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven, and he rained down on them manna to eat. And gave them the grain of heaven Men ate of the bread of angels he sent them food in abundance he caused the east wind to blow in the heavens and by his power he led out the south wind he rained meat on them like dust winged birds like the sand of the seas he let them fall in the midst of their camp all around their dwellings and they ate and were well filled for he gave them what they craved but before they had satisfied their craving while the food was still in their mouths The anger of God rose against them, and he killed the strongest of them and laid low the young men of Israel. In spite of all this, they still sinned. Despite his wonders, they did not believe. So he made their days vanish like a breath and their years in terror. When he killed them, they sought him. They repented and sought God earnestly. They remembered that God was their rock, the most high God, their Redeemer. But they flattered him with their mouths, they lied to him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast toward him; They were not faithful to his covenant. Yet he, the incompassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all his wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and comes not again. How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. They tested God again and again and provoked the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power of the day when he redeemed them from the foe, when he performed his signs in Egypt and his marvels in the fields of Zoan. He turned their rivers to blood so that they could not drink of their streams. He sent among them swarms of flies which devoured them and frogs which destroyed them. He gave their crops to the destroying locusts and the fruit of their labor to the locusts. He destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamores with frost. He gave over their cattle to the hail and their flocks to thunderbolts. He let loose on them his burning anger, wrath, indignation, and distress. A company of destroying angels, he made a path through his anger. He did not spare them from death, but gave their lives over to the plague. He struck down every firstborn in Egypt, the firstfruits of their strength in the tents of Ham. Then he led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them in safety so they were not afraid, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies, and he brought them to his holy land, to the mountain which his right hand had won. He drove out nations before them, he apportioned them for a possession, and settled the tribes of Israel in their tents. Yet they tested and rebelled against the Most High God, and did not keep his testimonies, but turned away and acted treacherously like their fathers. They twisted like a deceitful bow. For they provoked him to anger with their high places, they moved him to jealousy with their idols. When God heard, he was full of wrath, and he utterly rejected Israel. He forsook his dwelling at Shiloh, the tent where he dwelt among mankind, and delivered his power to captivity, his glory to the hand of the foe. He gave his people over to the sword, and vented his wrath on his heritage. Fire devoured their young men and their young women had no marriage sons. Their priests fell by the sword, and their widows made no lamentation. Then the Lord awoke as from sleep, like a strong man shouting because of wine, and he put his adversaries to rout, and he put them to everlasting shame. He rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loves. He built his sanctuary like the high heavens, like the earth which he has founded forever. He chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the nursing ewes. He brought him to shepherd Jacob his people, Israel his inheritance. With upright heart he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. Praise God for the reading of His Word. Um, What do we need to pray for this morning? Uh, Remember Russell, he's away traveling. Uh, Josh as well. Um, What else do we need to remember this morning? I have a
1: school friend. His name is Quentin Fox, and he's been in a, uh, in the hospital just recently. He's got an um, infection in his foot, um, they're going to do surgery Friday, okay. and, it, and his concern
0: might lose his foot, you know, Certainly so afraid. they've
1: been He's been in the hospital and they're trying different things to try to save his foot, so.
0: Well, remember Quentin for sure. I can I can relate to those struggles for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah we'll remember him as well. What else? How's
1: your foot delivery?
0: My foot situation is um, not necessarily getting better. Um, there's prospect of more surgery on it. Um, the discussion originally was between the spine clinic and the foot clinic and so the plan was to postpone doing anything about my lower spine and the problems with my legs and stuff in order to do the foot first because that seemed more urgent then last week i met with another doctor in the spine clinic because i had had an mri on my neck because i'm having this numbness in my hands and it turns out that in one of the falls from problems with my legs I've uh, had herniated the disc that now needs surgery. Right. So they're trying to negotiate with the dietary clinic to try and do surgery on my neck before they do surgery on my foot. Right. And it's kind of, we'll see who wins that battle, but it looks like something's getting cut on in the near future. All right. Um, the surgery to the neck would apparently not be too terrible, although it doesn't sound great when they describe it, it's like they make a hole right about here and push your esophagus and your trachea out of the way and go into your spine and cut the disc out and replace it with a spacer and all that kind of fun stuff, but something got to be done because at the point where it's hard to write or type or do a lot of things with my hands, and I'm a little bit afraid to catch them with a knife, which as you know is pretty unhandy for me because I do like the old hood, so um have to be pretty costly
1: because just can't feel my fingertips. People have
0: three fingers on
1: both hands. So you prayers for that are appreciated. I have two more requests. Okay, yes, ma'am. Okay, uh, my mother's sister fell this week oh. and dislocated her shoulder. Oh, sorry. So uh, she's That's in crazy. quite a bit of pain. She's in quite a bit of pain. And her daughter is like you. She said repeated surgeries on her foot. And she's been in the boot for months. She got out of the boot. She went back for a checkup, and they they said if it's not, then it'll be <coughs> back in the bed. Yes. So her name is Kathy, and my mother's, and my mother's sister's name is Maxine. Kathy and
0: Maxine, we'll remember them for sure. Okay. Sure. Yes. It. Um, I, I I can say from personal experience in recent years, of um, when it rains it pours. When it rains it pours. And um, I, you know, once. Uh, several on someone in ministry who um, sort of had this formula, I guess, about, you know, if you follow Jesus, everything in your life will be beautiful and wonderful and blessed. And I always kind of question thought, are we following the same guy or am I doing something wrong? Because it sure seems like that's not a guarantee that, you know, at least in our sense of what we think blessing feels like, that, you know, it's going to feel like that a lot of days. Um, you know, Jesus didn't seem to promise that for want to tell. There is. Trouble in this life because it's a broken world that's stained by human sin, and, um, and it's always going to be that way. Um, you know, we pray for each other that, you know, we wouldn't have too much trouble one on top of the other. And um, I've definitely found myself that, you know, I mean, I say God's grace is always a step ahead. You know, whatever comes up, God's there end of it and has provided a way. And you look at something and think, you know, oh no, if this happens, I'd never be able to handle it, but you find out that God can handle it when you get there, so um, you're all right. Which gives us all of confidence, all of hope. You know. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for uh, your grace to us in Jesus Christ. God, thank you most for that gift. For the knowledge that we are your children called by your name to live for your glory. To know that we are in Jesus completely and permanently fully forgiven. That if we are in him, we stand before you unashamed. That we have a lot of shame about our own failings and we acknowledge our own sin. Yet, God, we know that we are seen as righteous in your sight if we are Christ. We thank you, God, for that grace. We thank you, too, Lord, that your grace to your people means that you provide care and healing and encouragement and hope. Lord, we pray particularly for... Quinton and Kathy and Maxine, Um, we pray God for uh, your healing uh, for all those who are sick and need of your touch. God, you have made our bodies uh, miraculously. It's incredible to see all the intricacies of how we're knit together and all the things that have to function perfectly from second to second in order for us to stay alive. And when we see those things, we cannot help but acknowledge that you are sovereign over all the universe that you are our maker and our sustainer God we just pray that you'd sustain um, your people through glory God we pray your grace for those who are lost and uh, that you would uh, give us um, the will the desire uh, to uh, bear the gospel to those who don't know you Lord that maybe through some of our major efforts God that you might um, claim for yourself someone that you're calling that you might uh, be glorified in the salvation of some lost soul. And God, that your kingdom uh, would be that much larger, that there would be that many more people to stand shoulder to shoulder with us to praise you one day. God, give us passion for that. In Jesus' name. Ian is going to come and lead us in song.
2: Gracias. Oh
1: five zero six seven,
0: I um, expressed earlier my thanks, my family's thanks for all your prayers and concern and the meals and the calls and um, just all those things the ways that you've encouraged us. also want to really thank um, Ian and Josh and Russell particularly for covering things these last couple of weeks and falling in as they always do um, to uh, be prepared in season and out of season to, to preach the word and to worship God and lead us. And I appreciate that so much. It's given um, us the. Um, blessing of being able to process and mourn and do what we need to for a little bit, and uh, I'm very thankful for that, but I'm really glad to be back with you today to be able to share the word. Um, You know, it's Palm Sunday, and so we remember on Palm Sunday, Jesus' entrance, spiritually we call it the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, when Jesus is first in a big public kind of way acknowledged as the Messiah by a lot of people, and of course that also begins the downfall of. Holy week in which Jesus led his uh, disciples in that path that brought him to the cross. Um, and because Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem is so crucial, I think, to understanding the sacrifice that he was about to make on behalf of God's people, uh, the value that we have in the resurrection that we celebrate on Easter Sunday, it seems really appropriate, I think, we stop and you know, take a little bit of time to consider from the perspective of Scripture what this means. What a tremendous event this really was When Jesus entered into Jerusalem that day So turn with me if you want to To John 12 um, The gospel of the beloved disciple um, John who was at Jesus' side For so much of his earthly ministry Um, And in John 12 We're going to pick up about verse 12 Uh, And that comes immediately on the heels of Jesus Visiting um, the little village of Bethany Which is kind of to the east of Jerusalem um, Beyond uh, Mount Olivet Bethany was the hometown Of Lazarus whom Jesus had, if you recall, recently resurrected from the dead in a way that was a very public kind of miracle. And it was also, Lazarus lived with his two sisters, Mary. And Martha there, And Jesus, apparently, frequently when he passed that way, spent time in their house and enjoyed their hospitality and enjoyed fellowship with them. And so they've been in Bethany, and now they're about to move west, um, past the Mount of Olives, to Jerusalem because it is the time of the Passover feast. And every faithful Christian who's able goes to Jerusalem for Passover, right? So, you know, John tells us that um, the um, distance from Jerusalem to Bethany was about 1.7 stadia. And if we work that, I'm sorry, he tells us about 15 stadia, and that works out to about 1.7 miles. Um, and so that's roughly like from here to the edge of downtown Marion, maybe. It's a walk, but it's not... incredible walk. It's doable in today's time or whatever. And so Jesus and his disciples leave. And, you know, clearly there had been, um, from what John writes, a lot of um, interest in Jesus' visit to Bethany because um, that was where Lazarus had been raised and were people who were both passionate about what Jesus had done there and also people who were angry about Lazarus' testimony and, and, as we'll see, wanted to uh, do away with Lazarus too. So, word gets out that Jesus is heading to Jerusalem and Lazarus with him. And John tells us that that really kind of drew the public's attention. And so, verse 12, he says, The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches to of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it's written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming sitting on a donkey's colt. Like John does here, kind of two crowds. There's the huge gathering of all the Christian pilgrims come to Jerusalem for the feast. And then there's this large crowd, but not the whole crowd, that follows after Jesus um, because they want to see this man and raise a man from the dead. They want to see this guy who's so controversial and who stirs up so much excitement um, everywhere he goes. And, you know, he's kind of at a point in his ministry now where things have become more and more public, the revelation of who he claims to be, and people want to. Be close to that. People want to find out if that's really true. Um, and, of course, there are just the spectators. There are those who have a passion for God and want to see God revealed in God's Messiah, but there are also a lot of people who just, you know, what, what we call when there's a wreck on the understanding we call them rubberneckers, right? Those people that just kind of, the haters, like, just go wherever this is excitement. You know, um, I've known people who, you know, sort of, you know, whenever there's a, uh, an accident or whenever there's a fire or whatever you can count all those people are gonna be standing there in the crowd every single time. You know, I guess it comes from a time when there wasn't a whole lot of well maybe we're still at a time when there's not a whole lot of excitement in McDowell County, North Carolina. And you know, I mean it's the thing to do. And so that's kind of what you had was you had these people in the crowd who were there because they believed he was the Messiah, or at least they seriously were asking questions about that and God was drawing their hearts and they wanted to find out. And he had others. Um, so, um, these folks um, were all pilgrims who had come from Galilee. And they have seeing a lot of Jesus' public ministry already, probably. Either firsthand, or at least I've heard about it from people who did see it firsthand. Um, a lot of them were probably longing for him to officially, publicly proclaim himself as the Messiah. Because a lot of them knew that he had to be the promised one that came from God and set men free from their sins. So these Galilean pilgrims got word that was coming, and they cut palm fronds, and they lined the trail that Jesus was going to follow coming from Bethany. Now that's like a weird thing in our culture, you know, from our modern perspective, it was a sign of respect for royalty, or high-ranking government official, or religious official, it's just something that people did. Um, you remember the story, although... A lot of history suggests it's not really true, but the story about Sir Walter Raleigh throwing his cloak down of the mud puddle for Elizabeth I, the Queen of England, to pass over without getting her feet wet, right? We learned that in school when I was a kid, and you know, uh, find out actually when you research it that there was never any mention of that during either of their lifetimes. It was about 80 years after Sir Walter Raleigh died that that was first written, so take that as you will, but it's the same kind of idea at least, that, that idea of... Kind of deference to someone who is of a higher standing than you are. It's a sign of respect. It's a sign of we're putting these palm fronds on the ground so you don't get your feet dirty because you are a worthy person. You are the king. You are the Messiah. You are whatever, you know. And so there it was a recognition that he was somebody really important. Um, and in that, of course, God's glorified. And they cry out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And those words come right from Psalm 118 that says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. And um, of course in John's gospel, we know that light is a major theme. You know, it's one of the, the major themes of John. The light that shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. And we also, and there's there's perfectly good arguments both ways for that translation of that the darkness cannot overcome it when the darkness cannot comprehend it and i think we see perhaps in this passage some of both shades of meaning there um, that word hosanna is from hebrew which uh, is borrowed from aramaic um oshana, which kind of means savior or save us um, it's the same word that's the root we get the word messiah from and so lining the path with palm fronds and crying hosanna the crowd is acknowledging Jesus' deity. When they cry out, Hosanna, that's not just, yay, it's, save us. You are our savior. You are our hope. It's that kind of an image. So they're acknowledging that they believe he is the Messiah, the one that God has sent for his people. And John explains Jesus' choice of riding in on a donkey, which... Seems like a kind of a peasant kind of thing to do. Um, and he quotes the prophet Zechariah, who wrote, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is righteous and having salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus clearly fulfills that prophecy in a way that, as John writes, maybe they didn't completely understand at the time. But once Jesus was glorified, once Jesus had ascended to heaven, once they saw for absolute certain the Holy Spirit bore witness of who Jesus was, they looked back and said, yes, he fulfilled exactly what Zechariah wrote long before Jesus came into the world, right? Um, God does that so much.
2: Yes. If
0: you look back over history, there it's often when Jesus fulfills some prophecy, at that moment, nobody took much note of it. You know, the soldier who split his side with a spear. You know, those kinds of things. Nobody took no but in looking back. Those who were Jesus' true disciples they said that this was a fulfillment of something that had been prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus came on. And God gave it through witness to give our hearts assurance because he knows, well, we, we're human. We need something to cleanse to, right? Um, and then in verse 20, John writes, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks, so these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, "Sir, do we wish to see Jesus." Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, "The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for mm-hmm. eternal life." Now, if he notice... That's not an answer to the people's request at all. Um, Jesus right. had a very Eastern mindset kind of way of doing things sometimes. And, you know, um, there, there's, you know, saying, um, I actually, I, I heard this recently. I don't know if y'all remember the old um, sitcom, um, Frasier. But there's a, a an episode of that show where um, Frasier's dating a girl whose mom wants her to marry a good Jewish boy, and so they're kind of trying to to put it on and make everybody think that the family is Jewish when mom comes to visit. And um, Fraser's dad is like, I don't know how to sound Jewish. And his son says, well, just answer a question with a question. You know, that's what what Jewish people, and there's the thing there's a mindset, kind of that Eastern world mindset of, you know, often you don't answer questions in a real direct, concrete kind of way, like you and I might, because we come more from the Greek kind of tradition, so through European background that most of us came from. And we tend to give a direct answer. Many people in Eastern cultures might give you something that feels less like a real answer to your question. And Jesus did that a lot. But in that, I think, we see, you know, he says the hours come from the sun man is glorified. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it cannot produce fruit, you know, that kind of thing. I guess in the world today, it's kind of a tricky thing to have a, a personal mission statement, right? You know, that's something that um, on job applications or an application to a school or something, those kinds of things you get asked about sometimes. And if there was ever anybody who had a clear personal mission statement, it was Jesus. That's right. Yeah. He clearly articulates to those people who come coming to see him that he was born to die. He was born to be a sacrifice no, to be right. a ransom for God's chosen people. Those that God saved from their sins and he give them an inheritance in his coming kingdom. And Jesus clarifies the mission of everybody who truly belongs to God. All of those who would be his disciples who are following, He says, verse 26, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now that's pretty crystal clear, isn't it? Amen. You know, our mission as disciples is to live As Jesus lived, with a clear focus on glorifying God and seeking his kingdom, far above all the concerns of this present life, I guess. And Jesus says in verse 27, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, The voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? And we've got this important principle here that Scripture shows us from the beginning. Um, those who receive salvation those who are part of God's kingdom are those whom God has called and drawn to himself but that's not a universal thing in fact when Jesus says um, and I want to lift it up to the earth will draw all people to myself that word there that Jesus John records at least in Greek is a quote from Jesus the the preposition is cross in Greek which means toward but there's another word that might be much better used in Greek to say, to draw some, someone fully to yourself, which is "ace" um, into or or into the presence of. And so, if you think picture it this way, if you're standing here and I have a rope tied around your waist, I could draw you toward myself, or I could reel the whole rope in and pull you over to myself. You know, there's a difference there. That's right. You know, if I were trying to get your attention, I could call your name and you would turn and face me, maybe, and acknowledge that someone had called you. But that's a different thing than beckoning you all the way to myself. And it seems like here that what Jesus is saying is that in his being lifted up, that there's a witness to all men and that all men have ample opportunity to understand. If God has granted them eyes to see and ears to hear, they've got opportunity to understand that he is the Messiah. And yet, it's really clear that many people don't. When God speaks, some people recognize God's voice. Some say, that was the voice of an angel. That was a voice from heaven. That was God acknowledging that this is the Messiah. Other people said, sound like some thunder to me. You know, what's the difference? God's saving grace, I think. And Jesus says to the whole crowd, uh, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light. Jimmy becomes become son right. of the light. You know, again, it's not a universalism that says, oh, you know, just, you know, pray a prayer or just, you know, acknowledge that Jesus was Jesus and you're saved and everybody in the world will be saved in the end. It's not that kind of thing. But he says, here is a witness among you. I stand here before you. The, the presence of God in your midst. And you remember how John says, you know, God came into our world, pitched his tent, is the term John uses, in our midst. That's how Jesus came to be among us, to be the light of the world. And so, we spoke it, leaving room for confusion. That's right. For those that God was calling would absolutely understand, but his words were confusing and meaning was hidden from those that God hadn't given ears to hear and eyes to see. Um, when Jesus had said these things, and hid himself from them Verse 37 Though he had done so many signs before them They still did not believe in him So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah Might be fulfilled Lord who has believed what he heard from us And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed Therefore they could not believe For again Isaiah said yeah. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart Lest they see with their eyes And understand with their heart And turn and I will heal them Isaiah said these things John says in verse 41 Because he saw his glory and spoke of him Never has many even of the authorities believed in me, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man, more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. You know, it was just a few verses back, really, in John 8, where Jesus (coughs) says I am the light of the world. I am the light for the world. And if you remember the setting of that, it's another major feast in Jerusalem. It's a feast of tabernacles, and Jesus is there, and there's a great candelabrum. this thing that's like two stories high, roughly, in the courtyard of the temple, and it's lit for the festivals like that, for Passover and for the Feast of Tabernacles, and so forth. And the saying was that there wasn't a courtyard in all of Jerusalem that wasn't illuminated by the light of this thing, because they had these huge you know, it would have like like pillars of, of animal fat candles or whatever, and they would burn them and, and it, it lit up the whole place. It was this amazing like a, a pyrotechnic display almost, if you can imagine this huge thing that lit up the whole city. And when Jesus makes this I Am statement, one 7, when he makes in John's Gospel, he's standing that up, him, That's right. What right mm. And he is talking to the disciples standing in pitch darkness, where there was incredible, blazing light just before standing there and says, I am the light of the world. Mm. He tells them he has come to extinguish darkness, and that in him is the light by which men may walk and not stumble, and by which men know God. But here. Jesus tells those who have come to seek him, the one that walks in darkness does not know where he's going. Well, you have the light. Believe in the light that you may become saved. And he says, I've come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me, may not remain in darkness. Jesus is clear about his mission here in his incarnation in this world, in his crucifixion, sacrificial death on behalf of God's people. It's really clear he came to save, not to condemn. But he says there is a judgment. And the judgment is this, that he's spoken the truth, that every single person who was there that day heard the truth of God, heard the witness that Jesus was Messiah. heard if God had given them grace to the voice of God, bear witness to him. And no one has an excuse on the last day, Jesus says. The wrath of God is going to be revealed one day against all those who continue to walk in darkness by their own choice, who remain spiritually dead in their sins and trespasses. So, the challenge to us, I think, not only to us as God's people, but to the whole world, um, to everyone who hears these words, is this believe in the one whom God has sent. That's right. While there's light from God, while you can see him for who he is. And know that God blinds the eyes of those who perish, who have heard the truth mm-hmm. of the gospel and have denied the Messiah. And they'll have their part in the ultimate destruction of all sin and rebellion against God one the same news, the enlightenment from God about Jesus' mission is both good news to those who have been saved and condemnation to those who are perishing by their own choice of sin. Because they've had the light. they had the witness of God walking among us. And known the truth that if any generation was ever responsible, those who saw Jesus face to face were. But they denied truth, John says. Some of them, because they were afraid of the authorities and being put out of the synagogue, and they then, therefore they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Mm-hmm. And he said those people believed. Those people in their hearts knew that Jesus was the Messiah, that he truly was who he claimed to be. But they denied him before men because they were afraid of what might happen to him as a consequence in this world. And God's people, God's chosen, those that God's redeeming will bear witness of And that's something that is a, an absolute thing. Um, those who were perishing apart from Christ will never comprehend the gospel. And it serves as a witness that they had the opportunity, they had the truth, but they chose their own way instead. But the joyful news of the gospel for those that God is drawing to himself, the best news in the world is this. That if you can see and hear and understand the gospel, it's because God is already at work drawing you to himself. And you can be saved as you walk by faith as Jesus did. Fulfilling that same purpose for which Jesus lived, the Westminster Catechism, that first question says, "You know, what is the chief end of man to glorify God and enjoy Him forever?" That's a mission statement for us. Right? So, if you don't know that you have salvation in Christ, cry out to Him today. Throw yourself on the mercy of God. It's not an academic thing. It's not a saying the right words or repeating the right prayer at the right time. It's throwing yourself on the mercy of God and saying, "There is no hope for me except You." No, you are part of the Messiah, and you are my only hope, and you are the only remedy for my sin. Lord, would you take me? And trusting that God never turns away those who sincerely call, um, trusting that in Jesus, God has fulfilled all the requirements of the law. You know, we've been reading through Leviticus—all those incredibly detailed, difficult things that were required in the in the ceremonial kinds of laws. Jesus fulfilled every bit of that. Yes, he He's given everything that's required for my salvation. You know, his righteousness applied to my account so that I can stand before God blameless, pay the debt of my sin, make me able to believe, and be saved for his glory. That's an amazing thing. It's something to celebrate as we move into this holy week when we remember Jesus' journey from the cross. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for the witness of your word. Thank you for the witness of your Son coming to the world to be the light, light that shines in darkness like that giant pyre, that that candelabra that lit all of Jerusalem, that light that was so um, undeniable because of its contrast with the darkness that's around. Thank you, God, that in the absence of physical light, you are still light for those who know you, who seek you. God, my prayer is that everybody within the sound of our voice, um, and recent weeks have been any indication that it's across the nation and across the world in many places, so Lord, um, my prayer is that everyone who hears these words would either know that he is absolutely forever redeemed in Jesus Christ, and that he's secure before God, and that he will welcome Jesus at his return with open arms and a joyful heart. Or if he doesn't know that, God, that he would fall on your mercy and he would cast himself on you and cry out to you for salvation, knowing that you never turn away those who sincerely seek you. God, give us your grace to live as your people, to live focused on the mission of living as Jesus lived, of bearing witness to your glory as he did. All of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'll take just a moment too, uh, Brother Ricky. This morning, and I was talking, and Lord's laid some stuff on his heart. And give him a few minutes to be able to uh, share the gospel with us, and then we'll sing together. Is that all right?
2: Sure, been fed this morning. To very, very well. The gospel, of Brother Steve brought to us, and I appreciate you giving me just a, a small chance to stand before you just for a little bit. And I was uh, this morning doing some studying, and, you know, and it, 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 quite often, of course, we study, and it's, it's something we read stirs on us, and then there's times that something just really gets a hold of us. Yeah. gets us excited. And, of course, uh, what the Lord's put on my heart this morning is... Uh, Certainly goes along with all of what Brother Steve brought us this morning. And I'm, I'm so happy to understand and know and be able to proclaim that, uh, that Jesus didn't just accomplish an opportunity for us. Mm. The gospel is much more than just an opportunity. It's, it's, it's proclaiming an absolute truth. And the truth that was buried on my mind this morning. That I want to share with you is found in, in Colossians chapter 2. And I'm going to read verse uh, just, just 9 and 10. It says, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now I like that word in. It's a small word. But it pro- proclaims so much. It tells you where something is we find this same word in the very next scripture, or passage, it says, And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Now, i got to say that, that a lot of times I want to conclude reality based on the way I feel. We're all like that. You know, some mornings you get up and you feel good. Other mornings you get up and you don't feel so good. Sometimes you get up and you feel really good until you watch the news. That's true. You know? Or it could be that that you you look at yourself. The Bible tells us to judge ourselves soberly. Sometimes we judge ourselves, we look at ourselves, and we realize that we've not measured up. And we've tried to measure up. We put forth all the effort that we, we that we possibly can. And we keep falling short and we fall short and we fall short. And of course, any time that I compare my righteousness to God's righteousness, oh, it's, it's, it's a bad picture. It's, it's, it's not good. It, it, I don't measure up. I don't even come close to measure it up. But the thing about it is, is that my hope is not in me. My hope is not in anything in this world. It's not in any other person of of this world by any means. But my hope is in Jesus Christ. And it's also Jesus Christ in me. The Bible tells us that it's Jesus in me, the hope of glory. Now, the truth is, is how could my hope be in Jesus Christ, or how could Jesus Christ be in me, be the hope of glory, if I'm not complete in Him? I really appreciate what you brought out, that He completed it. All the requirements of that ceremonial law, all the righteous requirements of the law was completely fulfilled in Christ. But there's a beginning to all this. And I'm going to tie it all together real shortly and uh, at really conclude exactly what we're looking at. And uh, in Ephesians, in the very first chapter in verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God of our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, what spiritual blessings? Was it just part of them? The Bible says it's all of them. I don't even know if I if I could even wrap my mind around what all is, but I know that it's all mine. You know, I, I receive a lot of it. Today, this this day and time, in my flesh, as I as I go through this world, and in Romans it says that it's the Holy Spirit that bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. What greater blessing is there than just that alone, knowing that I don't deserve it, there's nothing I can do to acquire it, other than, you know, it's just it's a gift from God that He's given us. But the Holy Spirit bears witness with my spirit. That I'm his child. That I've been redeemed. That I've been atoned for. That I have eternal life. But not, my name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. Just the very blessings that the gospel gives us. Is so much of that reminder of who we are in him. And Now I'll, the next verse. It says according. Now this is this is how. This is why. This is, this puts it all together. He's blessed us with all these spiritual blessings. According to himself. Now, we use the word according to, to give authority to, to give clout to. Okay, it's like if, if my grandson were to tell me what we're having for dinner, he might say we're having chocolate chip cookies for dinner. Well, I, he doesn't hold much clout. I'm not going to give much power to that. But if my wife says we're having fried chicken for supper, or we're having ham sandwiches for it doesn't matter. Hey, that holds some clout. Okay, so we've been blessed with these spiritual blessings according to something. Okay, so this tells us this is going to be big, According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. Not just chosen us, but chosen us in Him. See, He was our representative. The Bible, and I'll finish with this here, but in, in Philippians, it, it, it tells us in verse in chapter 3, verse 9, I think it is. Anyway, it says, And be found in Him. It doesn't say put yourself in Him. It says, And be found in Him. Now, when I lose something, I like to find it. We all need to find what we lose most of the time. When I lose my keys, I lose my belt, I lose my wallet. And I can promise you that when I find it, it was there where I found it. That's how I found it. Okay, so by understanding the gospel by growing in the gospel by growing in grace by growing in the knowledge of him and and this great um, truth of what he's done for us it's a process of where we find ourselves more and more in him okay the bible tells us the apostle paul tells us not to have any confidence in the flesh well let me tell you one of the best ways and maybe the only way of achieving that is to fail and fail and fail and fail and fail again in the flesh to the point where you finally realize no I can't do this on my own I don't have any goodness of my own I have no righteousness of my own I have no hope of my own and then the Holy Spirit reveals to us who we are in Christ and you find yourself in him and the Bible tells us according to what I first read right there and ye are complete in him who's the head of all principality and power. And anyway, I appreciate the opportunity to, to share this. And it's, uh, um, it's good to be able to, uh, to, to give glory to God. I'm going to turn this over to Brother Ian right now. Brother Steve. I love it. Amen.
0: say and the passage from today, um, I just want to say um, that um, Christ is the only hope um, that we have. Um, there is no other um, solid rock on which to stand, and, and with that hymn um, listed the scripture passage and from First uh, Corinthians, Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, no one can lay any other foundation than that which has been laid, it is Jesus Christ. Put your trust, your faith in nothing else. If you find, like, feel like the whole world is caving out from under you, it is. And there's one place where you can find a solid footing, and that's in Christ. Um, today, um, our confession of faith is from Heidelberg Catechism. And let me page to it right here, sorry. And um, it is question 18, which asks Who is that mediator who at the same time is true God and a true and righteous man? And the response. Our Lord Jesus Christ, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. We only have righteous standing. We only have holiness. We only have salvation in Christ. God bless you for being here today. Bless your wicked head. Go in his peace.